You're listening to audio from the Town Center campus of CA Church, located in downtown Coquitlam. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. So to prepare our hearts for the sermon, we're going to start with scripture reading. So if I could ask you to take out your Bibles or your Bible apps um, and turn to Hebrews 11, 8 to 16. And if for you new to Town Center, what will happen is I'll ask you to stand out of deference to God's word. And then um, at the end of the reading, what we'll do is I'll say the word of the Lord and you'll respond, um, thanks be to God. Okay, so if you could stand if you're able. Hebrews 11, 8 to 16. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. He was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was unable to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things so that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. The word of the Lord. You can be seated. Well, um, for those of you who don't know, my name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, CA Church Town Center. Uh, haven't been here for the last few weeks because I've been leading a stellar team down in Mexico. You! Um, and uh, had a great time of ministry down there, which we'll be sharing uh, with you in the next few weeks. Um, but thank you for keeping us in your prayers. And, uh, and yeah, and it's, it's good to be back. I'm glad to be able to share the word with you uh, again this morning. I felt really good because someone walked in this morning and they looked at the, the, these things on my face and they said, wow, you look smart. And I thought, that's better than lazy. So that's a good, because <laughs> that's probably closer to the mark, but I'll take smart. I like that. Uh, the reason I wanted to start with this text this morning as we continue in our series on Abraham is I wanted to kind of start to, to immediately give us a larger context for Abram or who many of us know as Abraham. Uh, living a life of faith, even though it says in verse 9, he didn't know where, where it was going. If that's not a definition of faith and how we feel every day, <laughs> he lived a life of faith even though he didn't know where it was going. Which means his faith was not based on, on everything working out exactly how he expected or assuming because he was blessed by God or that you know he was in God's favor that everything would go right for him. That's not what his trust was in. His trust was on the word of God and that God would eventually work things out. And many in the past, 
past, um, let's say every Christian and every God follower in the past who has passed away did not see the fulfillment of their faith on earth. And this is the, the, the larger framework of what Abram is living out his faith in. Now, he, last week, uh, Pastor David shared with you guys, uh, Abram had been given a very specific promise in Genesis 12. God said this to Abram. He said, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, I'm going to show you a, a map here. This is kind of where God called uh, Abram from in Haran. Well, he actually called him from further, but that's where he camped out for a bit. And then he made his way down to modern-day Israel, or what was called the land of Shechem. And he was hanging out between Bethel and, and Ai. And that was an actual place, Ai. It wasn't just generated. It was a real place. Come on. Obviously, that had to be... But in spite of the fact that God had his eye on Abram, we've witnessed that Abram has lived in fear. He, you'll see this if you guys were here last week in chapter 12, um, verses 10 to 20. He was, he was in Egypt with his wife Sarai, and he, he heads down to Egypt looking for food. Um, and he's concerned when he goes down to Egypt. Does anyone remember why? He's concerned that Pharaoh or the people of Egypt will see the beauty of his wife Sarai and probably kill him and take her as a wife. So he comes up with this brilliant plan. He decides to lie and say that Sarai is, he's at, they're actually brother and sister. And so what happens is um, he's safe. Pharaoh takes Sarai into his harem and gives money and belongings to Abram. Now it doesn't take much to figure out what's just happened there. We have a word for people like that, and we don't think highly of them. That is why there are no heroes in Scripture except Jesus. Okay? Abram, in fear, basically offers his wife as a prostitute to Pharaoh. That's what happens there. It's horrible. That's why we need to make sure when we read Scripture, we understand what is descriptive and what is prescriptive. This is descriptive. Make sure you, rem you remember that. That's a horrible thing what Abram does, and there's no way around it. Now, why would he do that? How could fear come so easily to Abram? Have you ever thought about that in our own lives? Why can I come here on a Sunday, and on Monday can fear? I, I, I was in this great world of great worship that was led by the worship team. I was, we're entering in, and then Monday, fear can overtake us. Why does Jesus get some areas of our lives and not other areas? See, before the Egypt episode, and this is, don't worry, I'm, I'm working towards um, chapter 13, which is what we'll look at today. But before this Egypt episode, well, well he was still in Canaan, or modern-day Israel, it says this in Genesis 12, verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. He built an altar. From there, he went on toward the hills east to Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and he called on the name of the Lord. He worshiped, he prayed, he, he sought out God. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. The Negev is the desert south of Israel that leads into Egypt. 
And then the, after the Egypt episode, it says in, verse, uh, in Genesis 13, 1, then Abraham, after this horrible flesh trade, goes up into Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot, his nephew, went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. And from the Negev, he went from place to place. The reason you see that place to place is because with herds, you would be looking for water. So they would go for drinking holes. Uh, place to place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, pre before he went to Egypt. And in that same place where he had first built an altar, there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. So I want you to, to notice something. I, I, I say all that to say this. Abraham goes from worshiping on an altar. Can we go to the next map there? He goes from worshiping on an altar in, in, in Canaan, and then he goes all this distance down to Egypt and makes some really stupid mistakes. He, basically what happens is he leaves God in Canaan, and he goes to Egypt. I'd suggest that Abraham believed that God could be left behind. Uh, see the, and this is not unheard of in his day, right? He, they're just kind of understanding who Yo this Yahweh God is. In, in the ancient Near East, gods were local. You didn't take gods with you. So the God of the Nile stayed in Egypt. The, the Canaan gods of Jordan or, or the, the Jordan River or the mountains, they stayed there. You did not take them with, with you. And I think Abram is still seeing God or Yahweh as a localized deity, However, it seems like his experience in Egypt, as we'll see in chapter 13, has maybe opened his eyes. See, when Pharaoh took Sarai as his wife, God gave him a horrible disease and his family a disease. So everyone would, would realize that something bigger is going on. And I don't think that was only for Pharaoh. I think it was also for Abram that Abram, had, Abram would say, oh, God has come to Egypt with me and he's not too happy with what's going on. But how can you call on the name of the Lord and then just leave him behind in a location until he returns again? I am so glad that modern day believers would never do such a thing. I am so glad that modern believers do not call upon the name of the Lord, offer worship, then leave that spot, I don't know, say at the Evergreen Theater for six days and then come back and go, okay, now let's, let's seek out God again. And so I think that maybe in chapter 13, which you can turn to if you want to in, in, your, in your Bibles, which we will look at now and, and keep it open. We're going to be looking from, from verses 5 all the way through to the end. We see that Abraham, Abram has another opportunity to, to get into trouble, that conflict arises. And rather than, uh, we see it beginning with him, he's, he's gone back and he's, he's gone back to the altar where he started. He's he sought out God where, where he started and seems to be living with this larger narrative that Yahweh is present with him. And so when conflict arrives with Abram now, and it seems to butt up against what God has already promised Abram, which is a land all his own, he seeks God out or seems to live out in the grace that God has offered him. And this is what we see. This is what I want us to think on today. Because of Abram's faith, he chooses people over possessions, he chooses grace over greener pastures, and he chooses trust over tension. Possessions, people over possessions, grace over greener pastures, and trust over tension. So the first thing we see in verses 5 to 9 of chapter 13 is that Abram's wealth, um, well, he chooses people over possessions. He chooses a healthy relationship with Lot over hoarding everything to himself, helping God out by keeping everything to himself. He, this is a, a rule that many of us have learned is that, uh, well, maybe more of us want to learn, is that 
Wealth does not mean a trouble-free life. Wealth, in fact, can bring a lot more conflict than you had before you had wealth. To quote, to quote the great theologian, Notorious B.I.G., more money, more problems. You didn't think you were going to hear that this morning. Now, Lot, who at some point kind of started hanging out with Abram, maybe he, he started saying, I don't really like my weird uncle Abram, but look, he's kind of getting wealthy and stuff. Let's maybe hang out with him a bit and we can glean a little bit of that. He starts traveling with Abram and Sarai. In verse 5, it says, Now Lot, who is moving around with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they were stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Adam's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at the time. The point of that last statement there is the fact that there's other people living in the land who are also trying to share land for herds and things like that, plus Abram and Lot who, who are growing and growing and God is blessing more and more and more. And you can imagine the, the herders of, of, of Abram's flocks and, and Lot's flocks, and I don't know, maybe, maybe Abram had seen West Side Story or um, and he, did, he didn't want the jets and the sharks coming down. Or maybe the Hatfields and the McCoys and, you know, Kevin Costner coming in. Like, he didn't want that kind of conflict. He didn't want death. He didn't want there to be conflict in family. So in verse 8, it says, Abraham said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine for the cowboy and the, no, that's a whole other thing. For we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. And if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Notice the open hand that Abram has here. Knowing that the promises are his, that God has given, he has his open hand with his nephew, Lot. And there's, there, it's an interesting thing for two reasons that, that Abram has this such, such this open hand. One's cultural and one's spiritual. As an elder and as the uncle, he doesn't owe Lot anything. Culturally, he does not have to give anything. He has complete right to turn Lot away and say, good luck. I am the elder, I am the uncle, see you later. That's the first thing Lot could have, or Abram could have done. The second thing is he could have held up uh, uh, his, his spiritual rights. He could have said, um, Lot, were, were you there when God made a promise? I, I don't remember you being there. I'm pretty sure it was just me and Yahweh hanging out when, he made all, when I looked up and he made me all these promises. Whose name is he going to make great, Lot? It's not your name, it's my name. So you go find your own spot. What, what's the camp song, Lot? It's Father Abraham, right? So it's not you. It's me. He could have said, you go, Lot. You, you, you get out. He did, not ha- he did not have to say, Lot, choose. But he had this open-handed, um, th- this open-handed faith that could only be had when he knew he was in this larger story that God was writing. In light of his faith in God, he allows Lot to choose. I'll tell you guys, it's amazing how grace can be extended and titles and ranks removed and possessions released when our faith in God's promises are strong. Because of Abram's faith, he chooses people over possessions. And he also chooses grace over greener pastures, unlike Lot. There are a few things happening in this next text. So if you have it open, keep it there. 13 verses 10 to 11. Because if we're not careful, they'll kind of go under the radar. Lot looked around and he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zor was well watered. So he looked and it looked good. Like the, like the garden of the Lord. What's that? Eden. Like the land of Egypt. Those are two very interesting things to put next to each other, are they not? 
The Garden of Eden where God's presence was and Egypt, the land of slavery. So don't let that pass you by. And then in case you're missing what Egypt represents, in brackets, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Notoriously known for sin. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. And the two men parted company. We have a, a map there as well. Kind of shows where, where Lot ended up going, which, which looked like a very, don't let the green, that's just trying to show you where Canaan is. Um, the area of Sodom and Gomorrah and Zoar, that was actually the lush, great area in the day to take your herds. And Abram gives it up freely to Lot. Now, that idea of Eden and Egypt, that's not just meant to be read and just go, oh, that's interesting. What a neat comparison. It's meant to have some spiritual meaning as we read it. Remember, Genesis was not, it was written for us, but it wasn't written to us, right? So we need to think, what did the first people who heard this think of? What did these things represent to them? Two things would have shaken them. First would be the mention of the garden, and then, of course, Egypt. There's a, there's a physical description, but it has spiritual undertones. Lot chose the land that was well watered, just like Eden. Now, I think there's even a, a third level. <laughs> don't, anyway, don't put this in your journal or anything, but... Like Eve, Lot looked and saw that it was good, looked that it was pleasing, and went after it. Okay? He goes east. East is not a good direction to go in Scripture. East is the opposite of where God wants you to go. East is where you, you left Eden and it was closed off from you to return. So to head east is to go away from God. Second is the mention, it was like Egypt. Now, who are the first people to read this text? Jewish ex-slaves, Jewish people who had left Egypt, the land of slavery. Egypt is not a great place. It looks lush, it looks beautiful, it looks mighty and powerful on the outside, but it is full of slavery and evil. This is what Lot chose. It looked great to the eye, but it was spiritually dangerous. He sees a financial opportunity. He thinks the, the, the trade is, is worth it. Ignoring the implications, which we will see in later chapters of what happens on himself, implications on his family, his faith. He sees that it's pleasing to the eye and he's willing to jeopardize his soul for it. And we see this, we'll see this come up in the next few chapters. Reminding us of Jesus' words in Matthew 16. What good is it? What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? When Jesus says that, it's not just a final destination statement. I have witnessed many people, and maybe you have as well, who have traded their souls for opportunity. Who have said, I will jeopardize my family. I will jeopardize my faith for this opportunity. But I will say, it's amazing what we will say no to when our faith in God's promises is strong. We need to know what our yeses are so we know what our, our noes are. But because of Abram's faith, he can choose grace over greener pastures. With an open hand, he offers it to Lot. And he also chooses, or as a result, trust over tension. In verses 14 to 18, we see here that Abram is, is growing in trust. If, if I were Abram and Lot just left going towards the better lush area. I, I might put on a graceful exterior, but I would be ticked. I might look pretty gracious on the, on the outside, but I would be steaming. I would be defaulting to look to Sarah and go, can you believe this guy? Can you believe I gave him an open hand and he took what looked to be the best opportunity? 
But Abram doesn't seem to give it a second thought. And we see him immediately engage with God once again. I don't think that's a coincidence. That, that he has just offered grace. He has just put trust in God's promises. And then immediately God speaks with him and communes with him. I believe it, it's this expression of grace based on trust that opens up a deeper experience of relationship between God and Abram. Abram shows grace, open-handedness to Lot, our trust in God's promises. And what does God do? He reminds him of the promise. It's very interesting, last section here. He invites him to walk around and check out the promises that he will one day receive, that his people will one day receive. It's not up here, so let me read this for you. I forgot to put it on the slides. Genesis 13, 14 to 18. So this is right after Lot has left. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are, to the north and the south, to the east and the west, all the land that you will see. See, Lot looked around and said, I like that, I'm going to go there. And then God goes, don't worry, it's all yours. <laughs> Eventually it's all yours. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. Notice he's, he's right back. He's, just, he's anchoring himself in the story of God. Now, this is actually an, an ancient practice that God walks Abram through. This is what, there's many um, ancient texts of kings, either when they take over a kingdom or they're looking to take over a kingdom, they will walk the full width of it, the full breadth of it, to kind of observe what they're going to be taking in. If they've just taken over a new kingdom, that will be a show of their authority, that it belongs to them. They would walk the entirety of their kingdom. And so here we see the same thing. Further down the faith story, this is what God does with you and I as well. There are many ways that God wants to remind you and I of the promises that he has given, that began with Abram, who became Abraham, that, that moves on to the time of Christ and to the time of the church. And God says, I am still trying to establish with you. Take a look at this. Take a look at this. This is the kingdom that I have purchased for you. He says, look at the promises that I offer you in Christ. Look what has been made yours. He says, come, come look at, at this area of your promised land. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 to 10 says, As it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. You might not see it yet, but by faith, we know it's coming. And then he takes us to the other side. He says, look over here. Philippians 3, 20 to 21. Our citizenship is in heaven. It can't be touched. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform your lowly bodies so that they will be made like his glorious body. That's a promise. That's the promise I've, I've put in you. That's the promise of your faith. Trust me. Oh, and look over here, John 1, 12. All who receive him to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Walk through these promises with me. These are yours in Christ. And look over here. The very incorruptible city that was promised to Abram. It, it talks about in, in Hebrews 11. The, the, the eternal country that Abram was longing for, that was hoped for by Abram, is ours because of Christ. 
The very, the very thing that everyone in Hebrews 11, this list of saints and sinners and what they were longing for will come to fruition for them and you and I if we, if we, if we jump into the promises that are offered us through Christ. Revelation 21, 1 to 5. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is it, Abram. This is it. It's coming. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. The sea means chaos. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, Christ the risen lamb said, I am making everything new. Walk around and look at these promises that I've given you. I'll tell you, our hands will be much more open to grace. We won't keep looking for the next best thing. The, the anxiety and the tension in our lives will drop significantly when we, when we wander through the promises of Christ. These and many other texts speak of the, the framework, the promise, the blessing, the fulfillment of, of Abram's inheritance, the story made a reality and verified through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that you and I can promote other people over property and possessions. We can show grace over an attempt to fight over greener patches of land. And we can live in trust rather than constant tension. And we will find, you will find, I have found, it's amazing how much tension can be relieved when our trust in God's promises is strong. And historically, this has been done by continuing to revisit the story. Luther said, I need to preach the gospel to myself every day. Just like God was walking Abram through the promised land, living in the story, in our relationships, in our conversations, in this community, we will see that, that, that Lot faces the consequences in these, in these next few weeks, we'll see this, of living only by what, by what his eyes perceive. And it's such a small little kingdom you get. Zor and Sodom and Gomorrah. It's such a small little kingdom you get when you are only looking with your eyes. But oh, how things open up. Oh, the lack of anxiety. Oh, the peace and the grace that we can show other people. We can get off the, the, the journey of continuing to look for the next best thing when we trust Christ, when we trust God. I'll say, we need to build more altars in our lives. We need to... We need to Put down more rocks of remembrance of what God has done in our life. Monuments to God's work in our lives. Welcoming him into every space. With prayer and scripture and community and the Lord's Supper and worship. These aren't, these aren't practices of, of Christians on Sunday. They're anchors to remind us of God's promises. They're the fuel and the sustenance on the journey. And rather than leave here on a Sunday and go, that's good, I'm fueled up, I'm going to head to Egypt for the week. What, what, what should have happened when Abram went to Egypt is at the end of every day, the beginning of every day, there should have been a new altar and a new calling on God. Every step of the way. As, as, as the, the people of Israel would learn later with manna that every day they need to come and trust God for the day. Feed me and give me sustenance for the day. Because I tell you, Egypt is on here. Egypt is on your TV. It's on Netflix. And it's on Disney. It's on your phone. 
And it promises big, delivers little. We need to continue to walk through the promised land that God has promised us. This beautiful future that he's promised us. The expanse of his grace, the power of his resurrection. And we need to find the promises of our inheritance in these things. And nothing you and I pull off. This is where freedom exists. This is where we find an ability to show grace, to live content, to allow tension to come but never take up residence. But we're not going to ever live anxiety-free lives. But as Christians, filled with the Spirit, there will always be resistance to anxiety and tension. Because we have too many promises to push back against them. They are not allowed to take up residence in our lives. Many of us are going to have opportunity this week to pull our rank card at work. Say, hey, I'm the boss. I've been here longer than you. Remind others of our position. Remind others of our power over them. Jesus says, only things built in my name will last. What are you fighting to hold on to? Everything you need, you have in me. Tether yourself to me. Many of us will have opportunity this week for what seems like a better opportunity for greener grass. Jesus says green grass can be just astroturf over poisoned soil. Jesus never said that. I just thought it was a good metaphor. You won't find that in the Greek. Greener grass does not offer everything that it promises. And I have found in times when I've had great opportunity, the problem is, is I always follow the opportunity as well. Wherever I go, there I am. I am the common variable. I need something better than just greener grass. I need to attach myself more to Christ. Many of us are going to feel tension this week. And much of it will be based on pursuing that which is temporary and has no spiritual or eternal benefit. The possibility of letting them go, of, of seeing them for what they are, we, we can fall deeper into the promises of God and the eternal hope and the security of communion with him. That, that is where the wandering through the promises offered you and I in Christ places us. So that's my, that is my hope, that is my prayer for you this week, that in Christ you will wander through the beautiful promises of his presence, of the future that he offers those who are children of the living God, that you will live in that security, that you will release many of those things that we have held on to and say, without these, I am nothing. Jesus says, without me, you are nothing. Let those things go because I want to bless you, but your hands are so full of junk. There's nothing left to grab onto me. That's my invitation for you this morning. Let's pray and let's offer ourselves over to God for this week. God, you are a, a, you are a God who sees and knows and loves. And you went to the greatest extent to show your love for us. And so the only response we can possibly have with with a sobering view of your love for us, with a sobering view of your grace for us, for a, a sobering view of all that you purchased in your perfect life, your death and your resurrection, you offer life for the future, but you also offer communion and and life in this moment. And so God, if we are, if our eyes are too focused on the next best thing, I pray we would lift our eyes and we we would be transfixed by you. If if our thoughts and our hearts are are caught up in what we can attain or, or caught up in in 
gaining the upper hand. God, I pray you would pry our hands open and we would be quick to, to release. We would be quick to, to live with open hands because you have filled us with your spirit. You have filled us with a much better story than we could ever pursue or attain on our own. And so Jesus, do a work in us. I pray that, that in our lives this week, we would find ways to make anchors in our life Times of prayer and devotion and community where we are continually reminding ourselves of the promises found in Christ. We don't want to wander into Egypt this week. There's, not, there's no life there. It looks good. to the, We don't want to go to Zor. It looks good to the eyes, but there's darkness there. So may we be strongly tethered to you. May we continue to visit the beautiful story, the promises that you have given us, that you have offered us and purchased for us through your blood, through your life, death, and resurrection. We offer ourselves afresh to you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.